episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another fascinating guest today, uh, helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, a little background to today's show, uh, a generic medicine uh, is one that ultimately contains the same bioactive therapeutic substance as a medicine that was originally protected by patents, uh, are typically allowed for sale after the patents on the original medicines expire, uh, and with subsequent competition, ultimately leads to uh, substantially lower prices. Uh, across the, the board for both the original brand name product and the generic equivalent. Uh, the generic medicine market uh, was valued at around $390 billion in the year 2020 globally. It's estimated to be growing near $600 billion by the year 2030. Uh, so there's a lot of activity going on there with uh, a lot of projected health savings along the way. Uh, we are honored today to be joined by Karen Haravi, who is both president of Sandoz United States and head of their North America business. Uh, and Sandoz Sandoz is a division of the Novartis Group uh, and is a leader in, in generic pharma and biosimilar products, uh, was established back in 2003 when Novartis uh, united all its generic businesses uh, and has uh, grown into a leader in the area with the sales around $10 billion annually. Uh, in her current role, Karen leads Sandoz's largest commercial and country organization in the United States, uh, responsible for 35% of their global revenue. Uh, she also oversees the Sandoz commercial operations in Canada, uh, in addition to serving on the Novartis country leadership team. Uh, she is also a member uh, of their global Sandoz executive committee. Uh, prior to joining Sandoz, Karen served as global head of M&A at Novartis International. Uh, earlier on in her career, she started off at Teva uh, Pharmaceutical Industries, where she steadily advanced in various leadership roles uh, to senior VP, Global Business Development Alliance Management, and brings 20 years of experience uh, across the board in M&A deals, enterprise innovation, complex marketing strategies. Uh, she holds an MBA in finance from Marlon University, a bachelor's degree uh, in economics uh, and chemistry from Tel Aviv University. And we are uh, honored to have her today. Uh, Karen and Ruby, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it, it, it's great to have you. Um, I'm very excited about this topic today, having sort of uh, been trained as a pharmacist and practiced community pharmacy for several years. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'd love to um, to start things off, uh, as we typically do, by handing you the floor for a little bit. If you could take us a little bit more into sort of your background, the early days, everything from where you grew up, what sparked your uh, initial interest in, in finance and the life sciences industry, and a little bit of that early career journey. I think that'd be a great way to start things off. Of course. So, uh, first of all, I grew up in Israel and I've been most of my career in Israel. So it's a great connection kind of to, to where I started to work, which is Teva, which mm -hmm. uh, back then was the biggest company in Israel. But honestly, it's not the, the fact that they were big that, that made me kind of curious. But as you said, uh, like you, I had this kind of, I went to, to study chemistry. So I definitely was curious on the more life science areas. And I, I found I really look for something which will be purpose-driven beyond just kind of work and, and science. And I felt that the pharma industry, it's, it's just a perfect place to be. I must say specifically getting to M&A was more a coincidence rather a big plan, but I did stay honestly for many years in M&A. So most of my career, I, I was doing M&A initially at Teva and then at the Novartis as their global head of M&A. And in the last year, I'm running the, uh, the business in the U.S., as you mentioned, our Sanders U.S. business. 
and it's such a pleasure to see you know I saw it from one perspective and again uh, it's all doing the same and, and you know also at Teva for many years and of artists it's all about access and patience mm-hmm. but doing it from where I am today you really feel the impact in a different way which uh, which is tremendous it's it's interesting because as, as I mentioned I, I practiced community pharmacy in the late 80s early 90s and I Personally, remember Sandoz as a, as a branded uh, medicine company. I remember, you know, dispensing its products over the years. Uh, now it's a leader in generics. Talk a little bit, if you would, about some of uh, the, the early background, how sort of Sandoz was actually recreated as a generics company, and a little bit of of the mission within the the Novartis uh, enterprise, if you would. So, so you well described it about you know how Novartis took basically all their generics kind of businesses and put them together, and this was the the recreation of Sandoz under again different branding, which was the, this generic division, and then a lot of you know acquisitions and kind of uh, and activities happened in those years from two thousand and three till today to really make it a leading company in the space. But I would say that now what we are doing, first of all, as you mentioned, we are leading biosimilar and generic companies. So it's not just one. And it's important to say because the market is changing so quickly, which I strongly believe that the mission and generics, which we are all in to do, we achieved, it's super successful. You know, 90% of the market is already genericized if you look at the US. But on the biosimilar space, we strongly feel there is still a lot to do. And we feel that as a big company, as a leader in the space, we can help, you know, uh, we can help in the, enhance this access you know at the end it's one word it's access really it's making sure patient gets the products they need so uh, that's what we're doing and we are and I would say that if if I need to kind of simplify it for people that are not you know familiar with the industry and how we work is really make sure patients are getting the product they need at the right time and at the right cost that's what we are here to do excellent excellent and, you know, thinking along those lines, so, um, uh, you know, looking back, you know, if we were to go to a time machine and, and look at sort of the top 10 or top 20 drug lists uh, from a couple of decades ago, we have a long list of small molecule products there. Uh, nowadays, I look at that same list and I don't recognize anything because they're all biologics. Uh, I can read about what they do and learn, but at the same time, uh, you know, that was predicted 20 years ago. Um, as sort of this whole area has has evolved. Obviously, we're still a pharmaceutical industry developing small molecule drugs, but bio uh, biologics are very hot now. And as you were mentioning, biosimilar is something that took a little while to come along and how it was supposed to be done. Talk a little bit about how uh, you sort of what the sort of the landscape looks like at Sandoz, sort of how you uh, sort of look at what's coming down the pike, what's going off patent, and how you make your decisions in terms of uh, what you're going after to ultimately enhance access and decrease cost. So first of all, you rightfully say that the market shifted, but still there is a lot of small molecules kind of uh, innovation. So, so I want to be clear. It's not that it's all biologic. Still a lot of the molecules that are coming to market are, you know, small molecule, what we call. And we at Sandoz are really focused on both. So, so, you know, when we look at it, and again, as I said, as a big company, we look, we have a very broad portfolio. So it's not the one or two kind of that we're looking and saying, ah, okay, Maybe we should, we really aim to go very broad. And our aim, when we talk broad portfolio, we look at what is the LOE coverage that we have. And we want it to be as high as possible. That's really what we are here to do. So our selection process, it's not, it's not about, you know, if you want this drug or not, it's really what is going to be available and when, as, as you can imagine, 
very complex patent landscape and exclusivity. So we, we want to make sure, you know, we are following this. But we, we, there is no one therapeutic area that we are more focused than other. We are in the small molecule space and we're definitely in the biosimilar space, which there again, we're trying to be as broad as possible. As you can imagine, it's expensive to develop a biosimilar. So there is limitation of what we can do in one year, but we are definitely looking to have the broadest portfolio that we can. And we have already in our pipeline 15 drugs, which is very, very big portfolio if you compare it to, to what the industry has to offer. And, and within that um, portfolio, what what are you excited about in trends? What do you see in terms of uh, of, of both the United States uh, generics and the biosimilars industries? What things are happening that we should know about? Obviously, you know, we we as consumers of products, uh, we want you know we want the generics to come along, whether they're small molecules or biosimilars. We want the cost down. I want a very low copay at my pharmacy. What, what gets you excited in terms of, of some of the trends that you're seeing in the industry in 2022? So, so first of all, on the generic side, as I said, I'm already it, it's really exciting to see how the U.S. market is doing. This 90% penetration, the fact that all of us, you know most of our prescription we're getting generics, it's exciting. And then it's not just exciting, it brings a lot of savings to the system. So we are talking in 2020 of more than $330 billion savings to the system. You can imagine that this money otherwise will be needed to find elsewhere. So, so this really, really excites me. I think the opportunity in biosimilar is huge and we didn't tap into it yet. I'm very hopeful and optimistic that we're going in the right direction. Like if you look at 2020, we brought already as an industry $8 billion of savings. And if you just look the year before, it's worth $2 billion. So you definitely see the, the progress. The opportunities, there are more than $100 billion in the next five years. So a lot of opportunity on the biosimilar space. And I'm excited because, again, we talk about access. Patients don't get enough access to biologic drugs because they're mm -hmm. very expensive. And by having biosimilars, it's not just that you reduce the price, you also create more access and people that didn't have the opportunity to use those drugs before now would have the opportunity, which very, very exciting. And then last thing I want, I want to say, and I feel that this is something also we do a lot in the AIM and the Association for uh, Accessible Medicine. It's really looking, you know, we talk about those savings to the system. Now, how do we make sure that the patients see those savings? So as you mentioned, the copay, the, the formularies, how do we make sure, because those drugs are much cheaper, but with all the plans and we all, I always laugh that I don't understand my plan, right? It's so complex. So how do we make sure that at the end, it's very clear to the patient how they benefit and to continue to make sure that they are the ones that benefit? Yep, absolutely. Karen, you, you mentioned before about, uh, obviously with the biosimilars, this is uh, a different thing. It's expensive and, and, and a much different process than uh, it can, creating a, a generic small molecule drug. Uh, you also mentioned, obviously, there's a lot of, of legal stuff that goes on when you know, you're approaching that point where whether it's Pfizer or Glaxo, whoever, that product's coming off patent, a lot of legal uh, stuff that goes on. What are some of the other barriers that we might not think about? Obviously, things like uh, production uh, systems that are different, uh, scale, you have to make some of these uh, biosimilars on. Talk a little bit about, uh, about what some of the other issues that you run into uh, operating a business like Sandoz on a daily basis. So, so definitely, you know, you, you tackled some of them, but, but in, the, in the heights of the pandemic, I, I don't want to talk about supply chain, because sure. this is definitely something that we see as a huge barrier. And, and honestly, as, at Sandoz, that was our 
biggest focus in the last two years. You know, the pandemic took all of us by surprise. But for us, as I said, is the aim to get the product to the patient when they need it. Supply chain became such a huge thing because even if you had a product and you were able to manufacture it, sometimes just to get it to where it needs to be was a big challenge. I, first of all, I'm very proud as an industry, how we showed up really both on the generic and the kind of innovative side. Really, you didn't see a lot of hiccups. Of course, as always, there is here and there, but nothing massive. And it's a great testimony to, you know, to to all the pharma companies, we specifically really took it to our heart to make sure, you know, we are having in our portfolio a lot of products that people are using for COVID and making sure we are working with our customers very closely to make sure that they get the drugs that they need. So I would say this is, it's always a barrier, but specifically, as you mentioned, with the high volumes and the heights of a pandemic, that that was a, a huge barrier. And other than that, yes, so as you said, there is a lot of the kind of when you can enter, which this is more the kind of legal IP landscape, et cetera. But that's also then you need to, to formulate a product, right? You need to make it uh, the same product at the same quality. And you need to make sure that you have the manufacturer kind of capabilities. And, and it's a lot of technologies. As I said, we are going very broad. So when you look at those innovative companies, they usually have few technologies that, you're, that they are focused on. When I come with the generics, I theoretically I need to have all those expertise, which right. is impossible, right? right? And this is how we, we work also with a lot of collaborations on the manufacturing side when there is very specific technologies, et cetera. And, and another interesting trend I read about that, that Sandoz is, is focused on is uh, this concept of, of self-administration, that there's a lot of these uh, biosimilars that are coming down the pike now, uh, anticipating launch, or have some component of self-administration. This isn't about going to a, an infusion clinic or anything like that anymore. What exactly does this mean uh, for patients uh, as the biosimilars industry develops around this specific area of self-administration? Yeah, so, so first of all, you know, talking about the patients and the benefits for the patients, those are exactly the things that are exciting because, again, think of, uh, about all of us as a patient, right? Going to the hospital, wait in the kind of in the line, get the physician to come or the nurse to administer. Half day is gone by the time you got, you know, the drug that you need. When you have those self-administer, you know, um, drugs, you can do it yourself. You can do it at home. It's, it's, it's a very different experience i would say for the patient so and again i would be very clear the product is the same but the convenient that's what makes it you know so much better from an access perspective also that those products will be kind of pharma benefit versus mm -hmm. you know medical benefits so also different dynamic on access there we, we really you know a lot of the access that we saw in the last few years in the uh, biosimilar space was were in oncology which is the kind of Medicare, what we say, part B. And now we're going to see more and more coming on the part D. And we're also making sure that we get the access kind of right, I would say. We need to make sure if we have those advantages and, and patients can administer themselves, we need to make sure that they also get the access. And, and we as a company are very focused to make sure you know, that it's happening. You know, um, again, one trend that we've um, discussed on the show in the past, it, it's mainly popped up sort of in the area of rare diseases, but uh, I just wanted to get your take on it is, is this principle of repurposing uh, that we have, you know, a hundred some odd plus years of, of sort of 
generic drugs out there that do A, uh, but potentially we're learning that now in you know, 2022 that they might do B and C. Does, does Sandoz ever you know, get involved at all in repurposing uh, of generic medications? I mean, or is this, you know, because the big question is, hey, well, we have this great drug that does something, but no one will ever develop it because it's generic now. Do you, do you ever have conversations? I was just interested. If it's confidential, don't, we do it. <laughs> don't worry about it. But do you ever get involved in repurposing discussions at all inside Sandoz? You know, I would say I take all those repurposing as, as the pathways, the 505B2 pathway. And I think, and the pathway is definitely attractive. And a lot of the things that you mentioned are also really bringing more convenience to patients. So yeah. as you said, if this drug is administered now every day and injectables and now you bring it orally, it, it, it's definitely, you know, patients can... Uh, can benefit. It's not our focus, I must say, but again, uh, it's not that if we see the opportunity, we'll just walk away. But uh, this is require more, again, those companies that are trying to be more in the 55 beat uh, pathway, mm-hmm. you need to be more specific, right? Sure. And, and as I said, we're trying to be very broad. So I think that's yeah. the, the difference if I need to kind of simplify. <laughs> Got it. Got it. And, and then one other thing before I, I come back to, you, to more focus on you, um, I, I've seen a lot lately, obviously, we'll you know, be watching the news at night and there's all sorts of companies distributing generics nowadays on TV. Uh, you know, Mark Cuban just announced forming a new company the other day. Uh, and then there's some non-traditional folks that are getting involved in the generics industry. There's a, there's a group out on the West Coast, the sort of a group of insurance companies that wants to sort of try to make their own generic drugs. Top line, how do, you, how do you look at some of this stuff being an established generics player with everything that's going on with some of these new models? I think it's exciting. I want to be clear. I think an industry which is as established as we are, I think innovation could come from different perspective. And it's mm-hmm. exciting that there are more companies that, again, at the end, we all have the same purpose, right? We want yep. to provide access and affordable drugs. I kind of feel as the manufacturer, we, we would always kind of need to support all those different companies. So we as Sandoz really looking to those companies and see how we can be, how we can support them. Again, if, as you said, there are a lot, so not always there are things that we, we feel are the, the right collaboration for us. But I want to be clear, we are there to provide patients if they get it one way or the other, you know, and we will continue to do that and supply, you know, uh, high quality products in affordable mm-hmm. price. Excellent. Karen, coming back to you, you've, um, you know, as mentioned in the bio and, and, and your intro, you've, you've been in the, the industry a couple of decades. You've really been at all parts of the, the value chain in terms of innovation, mergers and acquisitions, of course, marketing. Uh, but then obviously being in the generics industry, you're involved in cost containment, uh, you know, prescription benefit management, all the other stuff that comes on, on this end of things. Um, Messages for sort of the next generation that, that's coming along. Um, what do you say somebody that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking at bio, you know, uh, this cutting edge uh, biotech over here. What, what, what do you say to people you want to get that want to get involved in the generics industry or that you want uh, to promote this next generation that's coming along to get interested and excited about what's happening in your industry? What do you say to them? Well, one thing that you didn't mention in my bio is that I'm a mom for five kids. So I'll definitely we'll, we'll tackle also the kind of the answer from a woman and from a mother uh, perspective. But I will start and say that, you know, first of all, probably I would say that it's not about the what, it's the how. Okay. So really, you know, in the height of the pandemic, it's even, it's like, it's more about the relation and the connection and the people, you know, somebody told me very early in my career, nobody's going to remember what you said, but they will remember how they felt. 
that he that he said so, so that's really i feel that this is so important and when we sometimes and specifically now is the pandemic and working virtual we feel like there is other option to do it and i strongly feel that there is no again i'm not saying we should not work virtually i want to be clear <laughs> but i think it's a combination of growth and and the human being nature of doing business is very very important so that's one advice don't think that because we are managing this pandemic in a very virtual way it's something that we should do as is you know as so extreme i would say for the future i think having fun in the process is also advice sometimes i feel that i'm running so hard for the next you know kind of but but at the end life is short there are many surprises i think this pandemic is a big surprise so really enjoy the process and enjoy what you're doing and as i said as a mom uh, and as a woman i i and i can talk now for an hour Ira, so stop me but i Please, have so yeah. many advices Give advice. for women because i do feel that you know although there is a lot of progress and you see more and more women in, in leadership position it's not enough and there is so much we can do and it's also to some expect you know paying back for me because i had a lot of people that helped me and a lot of women that I felt that I needed advice when I was pregnant and I had no clue how you go back and if I even need to come back. And again, I know that I'm talking a lot of the pandemic, but I feel, I feel that now in the pandemic, the situation is even worse because usually when kids are quarantined, when kids cannot go to school, the women is the one that, you know, staying with them at home and supporting them in many of the families. So how do we make sure, you know, that we're not losing more females into the workforce? given this pandemic. And I'm sure we all read the same articles and see that unfortunately it is happening. Mm -hmm. So really uh, for the women, for, uh, for the kind of young generation, for, for the women, for the moms to be, I would say that it's possible to have both and that it's not perfect. And always in life, you know, you compromise, but there is really room for both career and great family life. And I would kind of encourage them also to see how kids can benefit from a mom, which is happy and successful. So that's, I do, in a lot of my kind of time, I do talk to young uh, females and giving them this perspective. Excellent. And now coming back to you, you, you mentioned some of the, uh, you know, there's important people supporting you along the way. Um, take a little time, if you would, to talk about some of those mentors and influencers that have had a really uh, important impact on your career journey so far, not just the ones that taught you at the beginning, but uh, the ones that were there whenever, you know, a bad letter came from the FDA or a, a legal injunction or whatever was going on. And you just said, I'm done with this generics thing, uh, but kept you sort of focused on what you were doing. So I must say, I never had I'm done with this generic thing. I had I'm done with many different things, but there's an industry, you know, it's honestly, it never came up. Good. But I did have few mentors and I, and, and I must say most of my mentors were men, but there were a lot of women around me, which was, and I must say I was many times, as I said, many years in the M&A space, which unfortunately has much less females than men. So that's where the mentors when I moved to different areas, it definitely changed. Uh, but still, I had the opportunity to talk with a lot of women and I had a lot of support with, with women leadership that were not in my space. But I mean, when it was more, I always looked for advice. I always looked for people that kind of been through those experiences, even if it's just to let me know that it's kind of fine, that you know I'm going through something that somebody else already went through. And also to learn from those mistakes, because sometimes you, you fully recognize that you did 
a mistake, but you don't know what you need to do it to make sure it doesn't happen again. And this conversation sometimes when it's, you know, with somebody which really care from you, you have a very different answer, I would say, because I did have people around me a lot of time, which just want to tell me what I wanted to hear. And those mentors reflected and give me things that I definitely learned from, but to tell you that I was pleased or happy to hear, not, not always. So I think that's the difference. And to find people around you that not just your friends, people that feel responsible to give you their, you know, the truth as it is, even if it's not something that you want to hear. Absolutely. Um, Karen, one last thing. Yes, I, I apologize before I, I, I did not mention that uh, that you were a mother of five children. I also did not mention that you are an avid runner uh, with uh, as a one a marathon and three half marathons uh, under your belt. Uh, what is the uh, Karen Haruvi uh, running schedule look like for 2022? Are we going to see you? Uh, so we expect to see you on Pharmaceutical Executive magazine, but we're going to see you on your Runner's World, uh, or the running Pharmaceutical Executive. What, what's happening in 2022 in terms of the running? Uh, definitely I'm running more when I'm working from home. So the days that I'm home, I'm always running no matter what. Uh, days in the office depends, but uh, no, no big plans. I must say I committed to my family that I'm not going to do another marathon because it takes a lot of time and energy, but definitely I enjoy it as a hobby. I feel that it's, it's really give me energy. And we talked about the element of fun. That's, that's one of the things that give me joy. So I want to make sure I continue to do that. So definitely a lot of runs are planned, but probably not very long ones or something that you will read somewhere. <laughs> well, anyway, but you are I, welcome if you want to schedule a run together. Happy to do that. I stopped doing that several years ago. I I, I, I go into the basement on the treadmill. I walk nowadays, but that's a, that's a different story. Um, Karen, it, it was it really fascinating uh, hearing about your journey. Um, Going to continue to to watch uh, you progress and, and move forward with this and, and and whatever you might be doing uh, in 2022 and beyond um, for. Uh, Everybody that's going to be listening to uh, this particular episode uh, on the podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel, you've been listening to Karen Haruvi, uh, President Sandoz United States, Head of Sandoz North America Businesses. Uh, Karen, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to, to come talk to us for a little while today. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing. And as we like to say on this show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through all the work you've been doing. A very, very inspiring story. Thanks very much for having me.